Well, as I indicated a moment ago, the uh, text for the message this morning comes from Psalm 1, the very first psalm in the book of Psalms, located somewhere in the middle of, of uh, the Bible. And, of course, I invite you to turn to this psalm with me if you have Bibles with you. If not, feel free to read the text as it is projected above me. Psalm 1, and we're going to be thinking about the practice of reading Scripture. Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. I want to ask you this morning, do you want to become a more loyal disciple of Jesus? Do you want to become a more grounded believer? I think that any sincere follower of Jesus would say yes. And yet what we often experience in life is frustration. Why do we experience frustration when we want to be loyal disciples of Jesus, and we want to be grounded as believers, we experience frustration because we try and we fail. And perhaps this sermon series makes you feel only more like a failure, and if it does, that's on me. Because I've been presenting a rule of life, I've been recommending a set of practices to help us reorder our lives around Christ, to reorient ourselves, to recalibrate ourselves. And I've suggested a number of practices quite dogmatically. Go to church weekly. Pray three times a day. Rest one day a week. Rest one hour a day. In that hour of rest, practice a half hour of solitude. And the best way to experience solitude is through silence. And now this morning I'm going to add yet another practice. Read your Bible daily. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, what in the world are you doing to us, Pastor Bill? You know, heaping rule upon rule upon rule. And so I want to clarify something this morning. And that is this, that you don't need to do any of these practices. None of these practices are necessary. These are not the ways in which we earn God's love. These are not the ways in which we become acceptable to God. I know that uh, preachers in the past, some preachers from this very pulpit have made this point, read your Bible every day, you know, thumping on the, the pulpit. Just as we need food for our physical life, we need the Word of God for our spiritual life, you've got to read your Bible every day. I'm not sure you do. I don't find a command in the Bible that says you have to read your Bible every day. 
And I would say to you, if the choice is between reading your Bible and prayer, then pray. Because the Bible does command you to pray and to pray unceasingly, but there's no command in the Bible to read it every day. So that's my starting point. You don't need to read the Bible every day. You don't need to pray three times a day. You don't need to practice an hour of rest every day. You don't need to practice solitude within that hour of rest, and you can just forget about silence completely. A rule of life, you see, is a set of practices to reorder our lives around Christ. And I'm recommending these practices not because they are necessary. I'm recommending these practices because they are good. And the fundamental thesis that I have in this sermon series is one that I've learned from Dallas Willard, who's uh, you know, written a lot about spiritual disciplines and Christian discipleship. And his slogan was, don't try but train. Because he thinks that the great problem that so many Christians encounter, it's a problem that I encounter, is one of trying always trying and never succeeding. And Dallas Willard says there's only one place where trying leads, and that's failure. And I don't know about you. This is certainly the case with me. I sometimes want to be an heroic Christian, and I sometimes have Herculean ambitions. I'm famous for my Herculean New Year's resolutions. Would you believe it that one year... I resolved I was going to read 300 pages every day. I was going to read through the entire Bible every three months, four times a year, and I was never going to eat after 8 p.m. Well, the latter is the one that went probably the next day. I set myself up for failure. You know, I wanted to do something big, right? Is Jesus my king? Yes, Jesus is my king. Is there anything that I would hold back for Jesus? No, there's nothing I'd hold back for Jesus. I'm going to read through the Bible four times a year. I'm going to read 300 pages every day. I'm not going to eat after 8 p.m. Well, perhaps the practices that I've been suggesting to you already seem Herculean. Okay, well, if that's the case, I will back down and maybe start with something smaller. How about this? Pray once a day. Is that better? How about this? Uh, forget an hour of solitude. How about five minutes of solitude? Or five minutes of, of rest and maybe two minutes of solitude? Don't try, but train. Some of us who are here in church this morning who run a marathon will tell you that you can't just wake up one day and run a marathon. And if you decide one day that you're going to run a marathon, you're going to fail. And if you try again the next day, you're going to fail. And if you try on day three, you're going to fail. You can't just wake up one day and run a marathon. But what you can do is run. And perhaps you can begin by running 50 steps. Maybe you can run an entire kilometer. But do what you can in order to do what you can't. Train incrementally, slowly. And what you discover with training is that over time, you get 
stronger. And that's the thesis behind this uh, series, A Rule of Life. Do what you can in order to do what you can't. Start small, but be intent on expanding those practices. If three times a day for prayer is too much, start with once. And then maybe after a month, two times, three times, maybe even more. Well, the practice I want to commend to you today is read scripture every day. Not because it's necessary. You can be a follower of Jesus without reading scripture every day. Absolutely. But read scripture every day because it's good. Because it's life-giving. Because it will make you stronger and stronger over time to be a more resilient disciple and to be blessed. Now we're going to look this morning at Psalm 1, which is about the blessed man. And what you discover in Psalm 1 are two ways to live that are represented, in fact, by two similes, by a tree which represents the righteous person and by chaff that represents an ungodly person. And we're going to park ourselves on those two similes and reflect on them in terms of the importance of reading Scripture. And we're going to begin with the first simile, chaff, and then we'll move on to the second, which is the tree, both of which we read about, of course, in Psalm 1. So, first of all, chaff. The ungodly are like chaff, verse 4. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff. Well, what is chaff? I imagine we don't have an agrarian culture, do we? Some of you may not know what chaff is. Chaff is the husk um, or the sleeve around the kernel. And we want to make two observations about chaff that are relevant for us this morning. First is that chaff is hollow, and secondly, chaff is unstable. Chaff is hollow, and chaff is unstable. First, chaff is hollow. God, When God dies, Nietzsche speculated, you know, the German philosopher, when God dies, everything in the world becomes hollow. You're free to go where you wish. You're free to do what you want. You're not constrained in any way by Ten Commandments. You're not reined in by any kind of external morality. Everything is negotiable. What wouldn't you do for a million dollars? But if you have no commitment in life, you have no center. And if you have no center, you are chaff, you are hollow, a husk. Why do people lie? People lie to keep up a front. You lie to impress your friends. You lie to get a job, perhaps. You lie to avoid punishment. You lie to get a girl to date you. But every time you lie, you are voting for the facade. And if you keep living like that, all you end up being is a facade. And you are hollow. You are like chaff. Why would you have sex 
outside of a committed married relationship. Because what matters most to you is your own feelings, what makes you happy, what feels good right now. You're like chaff, hollow on the inside. So chaff is hollow. Secondly, chaff is unstable. It's light. It's unsubstantial. It can be easily blown away. Now, this is true on an intellectual level. What you discover if you study intellectual history is that there are intellectual fads that come and go. Freud was considered a genius decades ago. Now he's almost routinely dismissed by everyone. But I want to talk about personal instability, instability in your own life. Suppose you're a student this morning. And suppose you believe that the only way you can land a good job is by getting good grades. And you've written a midterm and you must have an A because this is what you need to land the good job. And you get the results of the midterm back and it's a C. If you are not rooted, you will be blown away. Suppose you're a professing Christian. You meet someone and you fall in love with that person and before you know it, you're sleeping with the person. You know it's wrong. You feel guilty about it, but you can't stop doing it either. If you are not rooted, you will be blown away. Suppose you're a professing Christian and you have a friend who's diagnosed with a terminal illness. You do not want to lose this friend. You are devastated by the prospect of the death of this friend. You pray to God and you pray hard for healing. And it seems as if God isn't listening. If you are not rooted, you will be blown away. And the ultimate fear that you ought to have if you are chaff, hollow and unstable and easily blown away, is the prospect of the final judgment. Verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Well, what is the alternative to chaff? The alternative is a tree. If the ungodly are like chaff, which is hollow and unstable, then the righteous are like a tree, which is rooted and substantial. So the two things we want to see about a tree. Well, first of all, a tree is rooted, and the roots of the tree access water. Verse 3, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. What do the streams of water represent? Well, they represent the law of God because... What it says in verse 3 about the man delighting in the law of God is parallel with what it says in verse 2 about a tree planted by streams of water. So the streams of water are the law of God. Those are parallel statements. Tree planted by streams of water and the person who delights in the law of God. We are not to delight in the latest intellectual fads. We are not to meditate on the popular cultural slogans. We are not to obsess ourselves with the idols of our time, sex, money, power, fame. 
Verse 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of scoffers. No, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. Now, the law of the Lord isn't simply the Ten Commandments, the way we might think it is. I like to think of the law of the Lord as God's catechism. This is God's instruction for us. This is God's recipe for our lives. This is the way things are supposed to be. This is the way God designed it to be. This is the way in which we most flourish. This is the way in which we can be most happy and most blessed. The law of the Lord, God's catechism for us. And what does the blessed man do with God's catechism? Well, he meditates on it day and night. Well, what does it mean to meditate? The the Hebrew verb to meditate means to utter inarticulate sounds. Now you say, oh, finally Pastor Bill has given given me something I can do, (laughs) right? Utter inarticulate sounds. And I made an interesting discovery this past week that you find this verb used in Isaiah 31 where it says that the lion growls over its prey. But the verb growl there is the verb meditate. It's the exact same verb you have in verse 1. The lion meditates over its prey. I don't know how many of you have dogs. But even if you don't have a dog, you've probably heard a dog growl over a bone. It sounds like the purr of a cat. What does it mean when a dog is growling over a bone? It means that he's enjoying the bone, savoring the bone, getting lost in the bone. The lion meditates over his prey. I wonder if we've domesticated the concept of meditation. I don't know what you think of when you think of meditation. Maybe sitting in a quiet chapel, maybe walking through a peaceful garden, but maybe meditating on the law of God is eating the law of God, is chewing God's catechism, is savoring God's instruction, is getting lost in excitement in God's instruction. Now, perhaps you're, you think I'm taking this uh, metaphor way too far, but I want to remind you of, of what we read in the book of Revelation. There's, a, there's an episode in the book of Revelation, I think it's Revelation 10, where John goes to an angel and asks for the scroll, and the angel says to John, here, take this scroll and eat it. And of course, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that both Jeremiah and Ezekiel were called to eat scrolls. That's what John does. He doesn't read the scroll. He eats it. It, He ingests it. And it becomes part of him. The scriptures are God's catechism, God's manual. Read scripture every day. But when you read it, don't just pay attention to the words. Ingest it. Growl over it the way that a lion growls over his prey. Meditate on Scripture the way that a dog savors his bone. Listen attentively to Scripture. Hear 
the special phrases that jump off the page for you. And if you need help with this, I have a practice. Some of you are joining me every morning. I do morning prayer over Zoom. And we've moved it from 7 a.m. to 7.30 a.m. to accommodate those who aren't early risers. But every weekday morning, I read an Old Testament passage with a little commentary, a New Testament passage with a little commentary interspersed with prayers. It's a way to get you started, at least, in this habit of reading Scripture, of hearing Scripture, and often I myself will highlight certain phrases that jump off the page for me. And what you discover if you read the Bible year after year is that you're reading the same text, but different phrases jump off the page every time you read it. Because the wealth of the Bible is inexhaustible. Now, what happens when you ingest God's word, God's catechism? Well, it's not that you're always fruitful or blossoming. It's interesting that the psalm says you will be fruitful in season, but you will be a tree that's well-suited for all kinds of seasons. Summer and winter and drought and famine and rainfall, you will experience affliction and difficulty and suffering undoubtedly, but the leaf will never wither it says. You as a tree, even though you go through bouts of drought, you will remain resilient and strong because you're rooted. So the righteous person is rooted in God's word, and when he is tempted, he will not be blown away. And when she faces tragedy or the prospect of the death of a friend, she will not be blown away. And when he doesn't do as well on his midterm as he thought he might do, he is not blown away. Because far from being unstable, he or she is rooted in the word of God. So unlike chaff, which is unstable, a tree is rooted, and unlike chaff, which is hollow, a tree is substantial. Now, I've said that we find God's catechism in the Word of God in Scripture, but I want to make a big point of saying this morning that we find God's Word even more pointedly in the person of Jesus, in the Son of God incarnate. Here especially is where we encounter God's catechism. Jesus, you might say, is God's catechism incarnate. And do you know what I think might be the New Testament equivalent to this Old Testament phrase, meditate on the law of God? I think the New Testament equivalent might be set your minds on the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if we were always setting our minds on Christ if 99% of our troubles would simply go away. I think that most of the troubles that I experience in life would go away if I set my mind on the Lord Jesus Christ and just reflected and thought about the Lord Jesus Christ, who he is, what he does, what he says, what he's doing, what he's will-doing. Well, out of his great love for us, God sent Jesus to this world to restore us. 
And Jesus, when he was on earth, extended this marvelous invitation, which Esther read a moment ago. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus works so we can rest. And Jesus dies so we can live. And the streams of water that ultimately resource us and energize us and animate us is Jesus. When you are baptized, you are grafted into the vine and you are united to Christ and you are married to him and you belong to him, body and soul. And because Jesus is the water that sustains us, we are filled with his glory. You may know that the Hebrew word glory also is translated weight. The glory of God means that God is weighty. He is substantial. Everything else in the world is like chaff. It's hollow. It can be blown away. It's empty. It's not substantial. But God is weighty, and God in his Son, Jesus Christ, is especially weighty. And the righteous person is substantial because he is rooted in Christ, and the degree to which we are rooted in Christ is the degree to which we are substantial. Jesus is weighty. But I want to point out to you that Jesus gives us a yoke that we can carry. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We're not accustomed to thinking of people wearing yokes. We, we're, we're accustomed to seeing animals wearing yokes, but you have to know that in many parts of the world, in the near and far east, even today, there are people who carry things wearing yokes. And we have something heavy to carry. We have the weight of glory to carry, the weight of the Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus gives us a yoke that fits. And if you've ever carried a canoe on your shoulders and had a yoke that fit, you discover you hardly even feel the weight of the, of the canoe. It just, it's snug on your shoulders. And the yoke of Jesus is light and it fits perfectly because it's exactly the life designed for you. This is the yoke through which you can flourish the most. This is God's design for you. This is the way in which you can enter into the most contentment and the most satisfaction and the most fruitfulness. But the Bible teaches us this. If you seek happiness apart from Christ, it will elude you. If you seek happiness in marriage, you will be disappointed. If you seek, seek happiness in getting the top grades in school, you will never experience it. If you seek happiness apart from Christ, it will elude you. You must be planted like a tree, rooted in the word, in scripture, and incarnate. And if you are not planted like a tree you will be hollow and you will be unstable. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're saying, well, to be honest, Pastor Bill, I feel hollow and I feel unstable. In which case, I encourage you to pray, 
to the Lord, and I encourage you to pray, give me new life. Root me in your life. And pray to Christ, I want you to matter more than me. I want your glory to be more important than my glory. I want your word to be more important than my feelings. And there isn't a sincere prayer that God doesn't hear and doesn't answer. And there isn't a sincere request that God doesn't provide for. So there are two ways to live. One is represented by chaff, hollow and unstable. The other is represented by a tree, rooted and substantial. But how are we rooted? In these two ways, by growling over the word of God, by savoring it, by getting lost in it, by ingesting it, by devouring it, by tasting it, by eating it, by spending time in it. And we are rooted through Jesus, or the streams of water that give us life and vitality. So if you want to grow in Christ, this isn't necessary. Read Scripture daily. And when you read Scripture, keep your eye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the whole message of Scripture, Jesus himself says, is about Christ. And if you're reading scripture properly, you're setting your minds on Christ. And you're experiencing those streams of water that give vitality. Let's pray together. Our dear Lord, we might feel frustrated by an inability to commit ourselves to reading your word, and yet if we do inventory on our lives, we find that we have little inhibition about watching Netflix for an hour or two, as wonderful as Netflix is. We have little inhibitions about pursuing our hobbies and letting them occupy an hour or two of ours in a day. Little inhibition about pursuing our leisure. And we pray that increasingly you would enable us to see that there's more to the world than what meets the eye. And that when we are immersed in Scripture, it's just like it's as if a, a window appears in a room with four walls. And we can see through the window and see another world, your world, and the world of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Enable us to so growl over Scripture, so immerse ourselves and be saturated by scripture that the window opens and we see things we haven't seen before brought to our knees in ways we've never been brought before
see Jesus in a way we've never seen him before and run to him in a way we've never run to him before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.